All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today, I am joined by Clark Goolsby, Chief Creative Officer at Chase Design Group. One of my favorites, got to say it on the record, Chase Design Group has always been one of my favorites. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And by the way, I need to clarify this on the record because I was talking about this with my friend the other day. And technically, you're kind of like an expert on this. Is it okay. package design or packaging design? I feel like I always say packaging. Packaging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah package kind of sounds like you're like cutting something off, like, like package design. It sounds like yeah. you're like making packages. But packaging like the, is like uh, a field. Right? The, the ultimate pet peeve is when people say graphics design. So. Oh. I hate that. <laughs> I guess you don't want to be on the wrong side of the package versus packaging debate. So Yeah, hell yeah. So uh, how did you get into packaging design? Uh, you know, kind of your, your journey along the way. Um, I always, from like from being a kid, I loved it. Like we were talking about you worked at P&G before. I loved, uh, to this day, still, and this is probably in a roundabout way, the reason why Meet the Creatives is orange is I love Tide. I don't know what it is. I just have deep affinities with certain brands. Did you have that as a kid? Were you like collecting cans and packages? Certain things for sure. Uh, I don't, maybe not tied, but. uh, It's uh, a weird one. I know. Yeah. I've always been a very visual person. So, you know, kind of graphic design, uh, art, you know, anything like that. I've always been very into from a young age, but. um, You like drawing or. Yeah, drawing, definitely. I always drew. Uh, I was obsessed and kind of still am with like garbage pail kids. So I, you know, was always trying to like recreate those as a kid. Um, Right. You know, stuff, comic books, all of that I was way into. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as packaging, I kind of bounced around. I've done a lot of different design in my career. I started out in multimedia, like websites and video and things like that. And then I worked at an ad agency for a while. And then when I got to L.A., I kind of did a lot of entertainment design and then ultimately ended up just coming as a freelancer at Chase. Um, And they were already kind of changing a bit and getting more into packaging at that point. So my first project was working on the Cranium um, games. I love that. And that was kind of really the first packaging I had done. Um, And it was a fairly new... um, direction for Chase Design Group, honestly, because Margot previously had been very involved in, involved in entertainment. Right. Um, they had been doing some licensing, uh, licensed product style guide, things like that. Still a lot of identity work and had done some packaging for Mattel and, and, and some smaller things, but Cranium was actually one of the first projects for the studio that was a portfolio of you know toys and games and there were all the problems you have to solve you know with a portfolio of products like architecture and all those things and and so yeah yeah, and I think truthfully we were all learning it together a little bit and you know I I had never done it before so I had no experience but um, you know I had uh, like I said I was a freelancer and I had done a bunch of designs for the kind of round one pitch and they picked my design so they just kept me on and then I ended up working on Cranium for like a year straight. I, I would be like remiss if not to say you know, about uh, Margot and how she was an influence on me. Uh, you know, like design. I, I think for young designers coming up, especially like in, in this time, you know, she was somebody who was paving the way, making an incredible work. And like right around the time that I got into design, she was uh, def- certainly an inspiration and, you know, and still is in my mind. So. Uh, yeah, you guys no, are definitely sure. continuing a legacy, but like what a legacy that she built. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's 
got a wide influence on a lot of people. I mean, it's really impressive, actually. Um, you know, kind of how known, how influential her work has been. And we last year actually did a, um, a gallery exhibit of her work. You know, and we actually oh, wow. went through. We we hired a an archivist for the company. And so we've been going through her whole like back history and like all her like sketchbooks and hand drawn things and Margot kept everything. That you is know? incredible. So, so we did this show and we were able to actually pull a lot of the like in progress work and like sketches and everything for the fine you know, that led up to the final pieces. And what's amazing is, you know, when she was doing a lot of the entertainment work, it was all hand done. You know, like a lot of this lettering and stuff you see, it's pre-computer. Right. And so it's like, you know, we had all the original ink sketches and like wow. ink final drawings. And um, so we did this show where we we had um, the final work uh, in the gallery. And then we also had these portfolios that went with it where you could flip through and see all the process materials wow. um, for the work. It was really cool. And like that it, needs, it was, I feel like that needs to be a book. That would be a really I, I would definitely buy that book if they could somehow, you know. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what's what's like possible, but I'd be I'd be really curious to see because it is pretty incredible yeah. to see something come from like a, you know, like a, like Michael Beirut's how to, for example. Yeah. Like they're like cocktail napkins, and then it's like you know the New York Times building, and you're right. like, wow, that's crazy. So I, I can only imagine seeing Margot's work, and yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, just full transparency, we were talking about a book long before Margot's passing, probably just about the whole time I've worked at Chase Design Group. So, you know, 10 or 12 years, we've been talking about writing a book. Right. And um, it definitely is something that's that we want to do. Right. And, um, you it's know, and, and, it's and when probably just, it's, yeah. it's when. Yeah. And I think her, you know, her kind of broad set of influences, everything that she was really interested in and her like collection. I mean, she's got this massive book collection. She's got all these like, you know, kind of oddities and bones and different things that she pulled from. She had wow. you know, a ton of personal photography. And so I think there's like, you know, a really amazing story to tell and kind of share. Uh, so we For definitely sure. want to do it. And it's weird. I was talking to my wife about this actually before this podcast, we were, I went shopping yesterday and I was thinking to myself, like, how many of the brands that I get are are be are because of her design solutions? Like, you know, uh, right. the the Swiffer. I know that yeah. she would worked on that. Uh, you know, yeah. this is obviously speaking the whole company. I know it's a team effort here. Right, um, sure, sure. But like Swiffer and and Mr. Clean. I mean, Mr. Yeah. Clean was was one of those brands that was like right, like not as relevant, and then all of a sudden it was like this brilliant design solution that was just like colorful and proud and and kind of like loud in a way which i, I like because i feel like so many package packaging design companies were going this kind of uh dialing things back whereas like you know right. the products yeah. that, that chase made really pop on the shelf and i think that's probably why i buy them you know yeah well and it's always a challenge you know to kind of um especially large brands who are typically more conservative and, you know, kind of slower to change to get them to, to make big changes like they made on Mr. Clean, you know, it has to be the right time. It has to be, um, yeah. the right strategy and the right design solution. It kind of all has to really come together. And, um, luckily we've been pretty fortunate to, to do it a, a few times and it always feels, um, you know, really rewarding when you can, when you can make it work. In all your time working at Chase thus far, uh, what has been like your favorite brand that you guys have worked on, and, and what's one where you really feel like you made, um, you know, a big impact with people buying it? Because really, that's all it, you know, it's all it boils down to is like, you know, what what are customers tearing off of the shelf, so to speak? 
I, I will answer that in like a not very specific way, but bear with me here. So, okay. you know, I think it's interesting because at Chase we get to work with really, really small brands, companies that are one or two people, all the way up to companies like P&G, um, you know, that are very large global brands, you know, uh, huge sales. And, you know, both of those type of projects you know, the scale of projects really offer different rewards. I think on something like P&G, you're looking at something that's, you know, a global scale and there's a lot of complexities with supply chains and things that right. can't be manufactured and, you know, you're solving and that, distribution yeah, yeah. and you're solving for a brand that's got to work in multiple languages and in many countries. And, and so there's, there is a very rewarding kind of satisfying side to that. Right. And then on small brands, you know, a lot of times you get to be a little bit more creative and kind of do some things that you may not be able to do on a larger brand. And the impact you see on that is like really immediate a lot of times. So we've we've worked on a few small startups uh, out of the New York office, um, like Mike's Hot Honey and um, another one that we, we actually don't have on our website yet, but Susie's Muffins. And, you know, both of those guys were able to go out and... Um, you know, raise funding after the design work. And, you know, obviously the design work doesn't get all the credit. I mean, they had to have the business plan and the product and everything else to get that. But, you know, you can see the impact of that. You can see the impact of when they're at like, you know, the fancy food show and, and, you know, the kind of engagement they get based on the design work. And so, you know, that's very rewarding to kind of see that immediate. That's why I love mock-ups and and mocking things up and and really being able to, to sell sell an idea before you even make a, a single thing. It, it gives you so yeah. much leverage going into something. Like a lot of people like wouldn't want to make something up, but uh, kind of, I saw that re- like recently with the design project I had. It's like, I, I kind of made it first. And then just just having something to, to show to someone right. who knows nothing about yeah. design is a huge thing. And it doesn't seem like well, it because we're designers, but to someone who's right. not a designer, if you come to them yeah. and say, look at this, and they go, you made it already? You go, no, I'm just really good at Photoshop. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's, it's actually interesting. We, we push very often to get physical mock-ups made because people do evaluate everything on screen. And the kind of, you know, kiss of death sometimes is people evaluate everything in these digital shelf sets. And it, it, it serves a purpose for sure, but it's really not similar to, to – to being in front of a shelf and, you know, the shadows and the position of things on shelf and, you know, what something is going to look like in 3D with all the special finishes and all that stuff. And so it's really helpful many times to be able to hold the thing in your hand or, you know, take it to an actual grocery store and set it on the shelf and and, and see how it's really going to look. You know, it's pretty hard to like render all that stuff, even if you're good at rendering to to really get it to be, you know, faithful to the real thing. And there are so many like, and and what's so crazy about package design is packaging. See now, I, I gotta, I gotta fix myself here. What's so crazy about, uh, yeah, one day at a time, man. I'm trying. Yeah. Uh, what's crazy about packaging design too is that it's so nuanced that, like, I remember when I went to Coca-Cola, for example, they actually have like a, a vending machine that's dimly lit, and there's all different right. lights, and they're moving yeah. the stuff around. And I mean, yeah. it, it's so funny because the level of competition is so high. It's, you know, like it used to be like differentiate or die and, you know, you hear the yeah, things yeah, like that. Yeah. But now everyone's differentiating so much that it's like, how do you stand out when everyone's, everything's like screaming for your attention? And then there's, it's yes. backwards and it's backwards in the thing. There's dimly lit, all these variables, all these distributions. So how do you, when you're solving for that problem, 
what's like the latest? Like what, what is your, cause every year I'm sure your view has changed on this, but right. what do you feel like, you know, nowadays, what does it take to really stand out and get someone to pick up your product? Yeah, you know, it's a tough question because you, you, you do a strategy presentation for brands and one of the things you see often is, is people trying to find the white space, you know, so they'll, they'll do an audit of the whole category and kind of plot all the brands. And, and a lot of times there isn't a lot of white space in a category just because there's so many brands, there's so much going on. It's really hard to say like, oh, this is going to be truly unique in this space. Right. Um, when you think about things like, you know, uh, beverages, you know, if you look at the cooler today, there is like so much variety. There's you know so much going on. Right. And so a lot of times, you know, a conversation we need to have with people is about really coming up with who their brand is, what their brand stands for, and just being very true to themselves and yeah. being consistent and kind of, um, you know, not just trying to scream and, you know, jump out and be totally different than something else, but being really true to who you are. Yeah. Um, because the truth is, is there's so many products, it's almost impossible at times to even really right. create that kind of disruption. You and know? I feel like consumers nowadays or customers, whatever, you know, people are always like arguing on LinkedIn about the semantics. Like, you know, you, you, get, <laughs> you get what I'm getting yeah. at here. Like, and I feel like customers today are more aware than they've ever been. They're smarter than they've ever been. And they don't fall. Like, I feel like some brands, they're still doing tactics like, like puffery, like, like we're right. the best cup of coffee. Yeah. Like no yeah. one who's 27 looks at that and goes, man, they are yes. the world's best cup of coffee. Like, you know what I mean? I, so I, I feel like you're... nowadays people have to be authentic and real. Yes. I mean, people are way more savvy than they used to be. There is so much information available and out there. It's much right. easier to kind of know a brand even before you experience it in the store. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I think people are more skeptical. I think they, um, at times, are skeptical of larger brands. You know, they're looking for things that are more challengers or um, – you right. know, that they think are going to be healthier or purer or all those kind of things. And right. so, um, yeah, it is, it is, uh, you know, it is something really important to kind of be a, have a brand that has a real story, have a product that's a good quality product. I mean, the, I always say this, but it's like, you know, having a good quality product, it makes design so much easier. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, the thing is actually good. It makes our jobs a hundred times easier. I sound like a broken record. I, I say this on every podcast. I got to think of a way to switch it up. But this podcast seeks to bridge the gap between entry-level creatives and people like yourself who are, you know, okay. doing working in the uh, in the big league, so to speak. So right. uh, let's start with advice uh, in terms of getting a job in packaging design. Uh, I have experienced firsthand. You have to have a real, true skill set, and it's very hard if you don't have that skill set coming in. So yes. advice for the people that are you know, want to, maybe they didn't go to FIT or they didn't, you know, yeah, so, I mean, a, a couple thoughts. I actually didn't go to design school either. So I am familiar with uh, kind of coming to it a little bit as an outsider. But yeah. one of the things I did do um, in college is I actually got an internship. I, I, and it, I say internship, but it was a paid thing. And I ended up working for these guys uh, my whole time through school. And uh, the, I was basically working, um, you know, like a designer. They gave me a lot of flexibility to kind of be a part of the team like anybody else. Right. And I essentially came out of college. I went to school for fine art, but I came out of college at like an entry-level designer um, level. Right. 
And so I think getting that kind of actual on-the-job experience is really invaluable because I learned, you know, everything from just watching people do it, you know, being taught in the moment how to do things, right. even stuff like presenting and talking about work and understanding how to, you know, listen to a critique and all, all that kind of stuff. Right. It's really hard to learn that in a classroom. And I know, you know, design schools are good at, at, at trying to get people into that environment, but it can never really replicate what right. it's like. It's like a real whip, client. Whip them into shape, but it's never going to be real world experience. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I, I, I think that's like really invaluable, um, for a young designers to get some actual on the ground experience. And so I know you that's say, not... like probably like an internship is the best way to go. Cause a lot of times people get like confused on like the semantics of it, like entry level, junior level. What does that mean? I think an internship, especially if you're in school and, and, and in most design schools, I think um, the students do, you know, kind of seek out internships, right. or at least it's recommended to them. Yeah. Um, but if you're not in design school, um, again, like I wasn't in design school, I think it's really invaluable because there's there's not going to be a better way to learn, kind of the the craft of of design. Yeah, for sure. Did you ever have a time where? Uh it felt a little like we were like freelancing and we're trying to like lock something. So that was that like, did you have a period where you were freelancing for a while and then did full, full time or I did. Yes. Yeah. So when I, which you like better also after all that. <laughs> I, I, so, yeah. So when I came out of um, school, I actually moved to Texas to be with my then girlfriend, now wife. Oh, nice. um, and I was working at this really small ad agency in like the middle of nowhere in Texas. And, after we were there for a few years, she was finishing up medical school. We moved to LA and the work in my portfolio was good, but it was not super marketable for like the LA environment. It was right. kind of all these small town, central Texas things. And so I had a really hard time. You were going to like showbiz town coming from. Yeah, like, exactly. Town, right, right, like yeah. trying to find work. And so I ended up uh, doing a lot of freelance um, I, I did it through agencies. So like creative circle was somebody that I used in LA and, and, and I ended up getting placed a bunch of places eventually. And they ultimately placed me at chase design group. And I, um, you know, kind of never left basically. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think for me, I, I've, I've always preferred full time over freelance, although that is not the trend today. It seems like everybody wants to be a freelancer to have the flexibility and, right. and you know, be able to take vacation and all those things. Yeah. I've had yeah. all the flexibility. I want. The, I feel like I want the stability now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I've done this freelance thing long enough. That right. I want, to, I want to start stacking some paper. Yeah. Settling I, down in my life. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's weird. I never. I never thought I'd say that ever in my life. But, well, I had two things. I've always kind of liked the stability, and I like the kind of continuity of being at a place and you, like the you know working on things. And then the other thing with freelance is I was always so nervous about like paying the bills and you know was my work going to dry up that I would end up booking myself and then double booking myself and be working in the evenings or on weekends because right. I was always afraid that that next job wouldn't come uh, I don't think I was ever like uh, I was too high strung to like just go with the flow and right. be confident that the next thing would be happening and so I ended up working like crazy while I was a freelancer and so actually getting a full-time job felt like a little bit of a you know break from the the hecticness of, uh, of working as a freelancer yeah yeah that's kind of where I'm at now since I'm actually going to be like going back out uh let's do some advice for people that are in that position where, they, where they're applying and they're interviewing uh -huh. I would imagine yep. you have uh, been on the other side of interviews for a while now and have a lot of yes. people that you meet. Uh, right. What are some of the, 
I people always talk about like the good things, and I think that like that's just being yourself, and you know, like the work will stand for itself. But what are some uh-huh. of the pitfalls to avoid? That's kind of like the theme I've been going for recently. Okay. What are the things you see? You're like, oh, this is so gross. Why do I keep seeing this? Stop doing this. <laughs> so to me, the like a, a couple pitfalls are one: if you can't talk to your work, like if you can't explain what the brief was, why you chose the things you did, you know, how it solved the problems that the brand was having. Like if you can't explain that stuff, that's usually a real red flag for us because, you know, we really rely on our design team to not only be very good designers, but also be able to, you know, really think through the brand challenges. Um, Because especially in packaging, like every brand has got a lot of you know, really serious challenges, you know, people don't understand their product, they don't, you know, they don't see it, you know, whatever it may be. And then another one I think that is a lot of designers fall into is one, the design of their portfolio itself often is not very good. And it's kind of like if you want somebody to pay attention or, or see your work, I mean, make the actual book look good as well yeah um a lot of times it's just very plain or things are kind of like shoddily put together people's websites aren't very strongly designed and it's like well if you really want people to you know think that you're a good designer you got to present the whole package you know so that that part's important yeah i realized that too i I had it where i I just kind of like had like live surface things and just like put put them up on my website without any real thought to like a grid right that, that that's just a that's a killer right there like showing yeah. that you that you lack like uh, like grid and designs like basic design skills is yeah, a, and if usually it's, a major you, red flag and if not right. a disqualifier. So I had to go back and learn all that shit. So yeah, and if you you know if you're a package designer and you've got um, you know stuff in your portfolio and it's not photographed well or it's not rendered well, I mean all those things you know don't really point to you kind of really having attention to detail from start to finish on a product, a project or, or an eye for, you know, what kind of looks well composed or, yeah. you know, those kind of things. So that's always important to us. It's really like your best foot forward. You know, like exactly. you're saying, this is my best foot forward. Right. That's not a good foot. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you exactly. You have a problem. That's yeah. the way I and look then, at it. It's a kind of black yeah. and white, you know? Well, and I, I'm, I'm from, I'm old enough now, which to sound sad, but it used to be that portfolios were actually books. Like everybody brought up, you know, now everybody just brings their iPad, but it used to be like a book and every portfolio you would see would be one of these black portfolios with kind of the slide in plastic pages. And I'd always tell people like, do something different, like make a book or like, right. you know, have something that stands out in this crowd. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's the same thing now, even with things being digital, you know, it's the design of the portfolio itself, I think can really say a lot. And then obviously the work within it has to be good, but like, you know, that's definitely the starting point. Did you have anything that you have learned along the way, just in terms of mindset? You know, for me, it was like kind of just getting out of my own way and overriding my own internal stories. What was it for you? And again, I, I'm not that old. This is going to make me sound like I'm ancient, but, but part of it is just for young designers is time. And experience and patience. Uh, And and I I know this because I was a young designer at one point and and I talked to the young designers here on staff too, but the best designers, I think, struggle with self-confidence. Right. And 
and so if you're a little not confident in yourself or your abilities, it kind of makes you hungry and it makes you work hard and you, you, you second guess things and you challenge yourself and, you know, you'll, you'll fight something all night long to make sure it's the, the, you know, the best it can be. And I think you want that. But a lot of times as a young designer, and I certainly this was this way in a lot of ways, you get kind of consumed by lack of confidence. When I was a young designer, I used to constantly think that people were going to discover that I couldn't design. Unfortunately, to some degree, there's no solve for that except for doing it long enough and kind of learning enough that you really can start to have real confidence in your abilities and and you know, know what you're capable of and, and how to approach a project and kind of think things through in a way that's, you know, you're pretty confident it's going to get there in the end. Um, yeah. So I think for a young designer, you know, you need to try and keep that in check and tell yourself, you know, you you do have value and, you, right. and your work keep is trucking, good. Keep doing it. Exactly. Keep trucking. And then I think, you know, on the flip side, as you get older and you get more experienced and kind of more senior, you need to make sure that you don't get so set in your ways that you don't challenge yourself anymore. And a, a lot of more senior designers really kind of get a bag of tricks and they kind of go back to the well over and over again. And, you know, yeah. a lot of solutions kind of start looking the same and, and it's hard, you know, and, and truthfully, we all do it. Like if I'm in a pinch and there's something that has to be done like in a day and I have to design it, I know there's some things that, you know, I'm going to probably fall back on and go to. Right. Um, but I think it's important to always kind of be exploring and trying to learn and learn, you know, new software, new techniques, new, you know, learn more history of design. And, you know, that was one of the things that was really inspirational about Margot is, you know, she was in her fifties and she was still very much, um, up on software. You know, she was like when the iPad pro came out with the pencil, she was like an early adopter and was like really? all excited That's about amazing. doing type on the iPad pro. And like, you know, so she was always very, very like curious and, and, you know, always exploring. And I think that's really important. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, that was one of the things about self-confidence, for example, is, you know, when I was starting out at Chase, I mean, I would go to lunch with Margot and, uh, you know, we'd have these long conversations kind of about this type of stuff. And it was really helpful actually to, to hear somebody who'd kind of been through it and come, come out the other side. What were some of the things that you, the, the biggest things you learned from her, the things that you really like remember? I think it was really just her perspective because she was old enough that she had kind of been through the quarter life crisis or whatever that I was probably going through at that time. Right. And, you know, and, That's and me. she, you know, was able to, kind of helped me understand to trust myself and have confidence in my abilities. And, you know, she would put perspective on things like if a meeting wouldn't go well, which I have to say was, was rare, even though that sounds like a, like a humble brag, but you know, when things didn't go well with a, uh, a client, you know, she could put perspective on, you know, Hey, this is a long process and, you right. know, we just have to go back and work on this and, you know, it's fine. And sometimes I think the world was coming to an end, you know, and so I, I think just having somebody that's got that experience and kind of can put perspective on things is really helpful. And I try with our, you know, staff and specifically the younger designers to, you know, help do that as well for them, you know, because it is hard. I think a lot of times just knowing like, you know, what's going to be the next step. And if a client says something negative, is that like, you know, damning in some way, or is it something that we can, we can recover from or what does it mean? And, you know, right. so it, having that perspective is really helpful. Well, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. If there's anything else that you want to plug, anything that you guys have in terms of, uh, you know, the company coming out, things to look for, 
Obviously, our website's chasedesigngroup.com. On Instagram, we're Chase Design Group. All right, brother. It's so great hanging out with you. All right. Thanks, fam. Cheers.